Well, if, if you have a copy of God's Word, please open it up to Exodus chapter 20. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, the text will be printed for you in the bulletin. And as you know, we're continuing our way through the book of Exodus, and we are in the Ten Commandments. And I want to remind you before I read our text that the Ten Commandments do not begin with thou shalt not. That the Ten Commandments begin with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. We serve a God of grace who has given us His law, not as a means of salvation. He has given us His law partly to show us how we are to live as His redeemed people. The law was never intended to save anyone. Christ can only, only Christ can save us. That His law we have to show us how we are to live, and of course, our need for Christ as well. Now we're in the fifth commandment, which is contained in verse 12. So hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Last week we started looking at the fifth commandment and we talked about three things that are set forth in this commandment, in the fifth commandment. And the first thing has to do with our responsibility. And over and over again, obedience is charged to those that are under authority. And all of us are under authority in some sense, whether it be in the family, in the church, or in the state, uh, or at work. In some sense, all of us have authority over us. The ultimate authority, of course, is being God. But it's not just obedience. Uh, The word obedience is not even contained in the fifth commandment. That the word is honor. And honor touches something much deeper than just our external obedience. That we are to see as uh, highly esteemed and honorable those that are over us in the Lord. But not just the responsibility, we talked about authority. That father and mother throughout the scriptures represent here, but also in other places, our God-ordained authorities. And that the fact that the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother, reminds us that we are to submit to our legitimate, uh, legitimately God-ordained authorities. That it is not as though everyone is over us as our authorities, but only those that God has placed over us. And then, of course, we talked about the promise, and we saw from both Exodus chapter 20 as well as Deuteronomy chapter 5 that there is a promise of long life and prosperity to all such as keep this commandment. And we nixed the idea that what the TV preachers say, that when the Bible talks about prosperity, that it means that we're all supposed to be filthy, stupid, rich if we just have enough faith. And that's not what the Bible teaches either. But that God does... Uh, promise to meet our needs and uh, to give us long life ordinarily. And uh, the last thing I just want to remind you of is that this promise of long life and prosperity, uh, one of the things we said is that this is not something that every single person who keeps this commandment receives. That we talked about from the scriptures, what we ought to understand by this promise is that ordinarily... God's blessing comes through obedience to His Word. But there are times when God uh, withholds certain things from us for His own purposes. And if you'd like to, you can go back and listen to last week's message 
uh, when we discuss those. But ordinarily, it is through obedience to His Word that God chooses to bless His people. But we've got a problem with authority. And we've had a problem with authority ever since the fall. And I want to read to you from Genesis 3.16 something... uh, This verse is quoted very often. When we talk about the curse, when we talk about the fall, when we talk about how difficult things are, this verse is quoted very often. However, the last part of this verse is almost never quoted. So I want to read to you the whole verse. Genesis 3.16. Remember, God curses the serpent, Satan. He curses the woman and He curses the man. And listen to what He says to the woman in Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. We quote this a lot, don't we? We we hear this text and we talk about how there's difficulty in childbearing. But we rarely hear the last part of this scripture quoted, where God says to the woman, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And this scripture highlights the problem that we have with authority in the world, in a sin-cursed world. Now, desire here has nothing to do with sexual desire. That's not part of the curse. That's a good thing uh, for a woman to desire her husband in that way. And uh, having some sense of authority, uh, the husband being the head of the household, is not part of the curse either. That was something that was existent before the fall. What God is highlighting here is that the sinful tendency of authorities is going to be to dominate those that are under them instead of ruling them in the fear of God and with tenderness and compassion. And the sinful tendency of those under authority is going to be uh, to not want to submit to those in authority. And so we have this tension all throughout the Scriptures in every sphere of life, whether it's in the family, in the church, or in the state. Here, in Genesis 3, verse 16, what God is highlighting is the tension in marriage, uh, but it's not just in the family. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus rebukes the disciples because they want to be uh, the great ones in the kingdom. They want power, they want authority, and Jesus rebukes them and says, you're not supposed to rule as the rulers of the earth do, who want to lord it over the people who are under them, who who want to dominate them. And he says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. We see this in the church and the family, but also we see it in the state. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God is giving the instructions for what we would call the executive power, the leader of the military, who they would call the king. And there are specific instructions required of the executive power in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And one of the things that God requires of kings is this. God says, I won't read the whole text, but that kings were required to handwrite a copy of God's law from the priests. And here's the reason why. It says in Deuteronomy 17 verse 20, here's why. That his heart may not be lifted up Uh, excuse me, lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God even built into his law that what a king is supposed to do is handwrite a copy of his law so that he would know you're not above the people that you're serving in the military. 
over them, over the military. There is not a separate class of rulers and people that all of us, in whatever state we're in, are under God's law and God's authority. And in whatever realm there is, whether it be the church, the family, or the state, all of us are under God's ultimate authority. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is essentially two, I would say, somewhat difficult subjects. One has to do with the responsibilities that authorities have over the people that they are supposed to be serving, the responsibility of authority, as well as uh, the limitations of obedience. Last week we talked about the responsibility of those under authority, that we are to honor our authorities and submit to them. But today we're going to talk about the responsibilities that authorities have, and we're going to talk about the limitations that God has put in His Word on obedience to authorities. So let's start by talking about the responsibilities of authority. Uh, when I was a kid, one of the things that my dad would often say if I would uh, attempt to twist his words as a teenager to try and get what I want is he would say, uh, Ray, words mean things. And what he meant by that was, uh, when I told you this, you knew what I meant by it. Don't try and get around what I meant. And he would say very often, words mean things. And I, to this day, I, so I'm like the Geico commercial where you become like your parents, you know. Uh, I, I find myself always saying this to my children. Words mean things. When I tell you something, this is what I mean by it, and you knew what I meant. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, oftentimes in the Scriptures, when we talk about authorities, uh, we don't oftentimes consider what God means by father and mother, what God means by a civil authority, and what God means when He talks about husbands or children. All of these words mean things. And you say, well, this is such an obvious thing. Why would you bring it up? Well, I bring it up because when we talk about submission to authority, what is oftentimes set forth in Christian pulpits is that we are supposed to render unfettered obedience to pastors, which is not biblical, unfettered obedience in the family, which is not biblical, and unfettered obedience to civil authorities, which is not biblical. Now, we'll get to the limitations of that in a minute, but um, fathers and mothers have certain responsibilities. Civil authorities have certain responsibilities. Husbands have certain responsibilities. And so when we read about these authorities, we need to recognize what are the responsibilities that fathers and mothers are supposed to be rendering to their children that civil authorities are supposed to be rendering to their subjects and that ministers or elders in the church are to be rendering to the congregation. So let's talk about these. A couple of them, the first and foremost responsibility of, ch- of parents to their children is to raise them in the covenant, is to teach them the Word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we spent a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, I think, uh, going through this on Sunday evenings about the responsibilities that parents have to their children to teach them the Word of God all day long. Whether you sit, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk, as you walk along the way, what that means in Deuteronomy 6 is that all day long, parents have the responsibility of living out, uh, showing by their works, as well as verbally teaching their children how the Word of God and the law of God applies to every area of life. This is a command by God. For parents to teach their children the Word of God. Another responsibility 
found in Proverbs 23.13 and various other places, particularly in the book of Proverbs, is that parents are to use the rod in correcting their children. And uh, we're not talking about child abuse or anything like that. But Proverbs 23.13 says that if you do not use the rod uh, to correct your children when they disobey, you hate your children. This is not a matter of uh, opinion. It's not a matter of us being able uh, to choose how we want to handle this situation or anything like that. Uh, but part of the responsibility that children have, that parents have, excuse me, in raising their children, young children, is to administer the rod when children go astray. And this teaches children that the way of the transgressor is hard. And that w- this is not uh, punitive necessarily, where all we're looking to do is punish someone for something that they've done. What we want to do, the goal of biblical discipline is to restore. The goal of discipline is to bring the children back into right fellowship with the family and to show them the way of the transgressor is hard. But it's not all about using the rod. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 indicates that it is required of fathers and parents and mothers that they encourage and comfort their children. And so that when children are afraid or when children are struggling or when children do things that are good, that parents have a responsibility to encourage their children and what good that they see them doing to encourage them in that and to help them along in those ways and to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord with comfort and with encouragement. But family authority is limited. And that means that Parents can obviously never tell their children to do anything that would violate the Word of God. And by the way, let me just say this to you children. Um, One of the things that you can do if you think that your parents have told you to do something that you think goes against the Scriptures, then you humbly go to your parents and say, Daddy or Mommy, what about when the Bible says this? And, And there may be something, mother or father... Uh, that you haven't considered that maybe you need to think about, or uh, to ease the child's conscience, you can explain to them the decision that you've made according to the Word of God. Uh, A parent can never, ever, ever uh, command a child or require a child to do something that violates the Word of God. But that's not the only thing. Uh, I think sometimes one of the struggles that we have in family is that uh, we don't recognize uh, that family authorities begin when marriage happens. And Genesis says that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And so that means that when a new family is formed, when a marriage happens, that the decisions made for the new family belong to the new family. Now, it would be foolish of young married couples not to ever seek out wisdom from their parents or from any uh, godly, wise people. However... Uh, grandparents, or maybe I should say parents of the young couple, need to recognize that they are no longer bound to keep the authority uh, in the same way that they did when they left home. Left home, excuse me. That this is a new family and therefore a new decision-making unit. And again, there is respect there. We ought to listen to our parents. However, ultimately, the decision rests upon the father and mother. And so the family, uh, family authority is limited when. When a husband, when a young man leaves his father and mother and is joined to a wife, they form a new family. So there is family responsibility. But what about church authority? Well, I think that we know that various places in the Bible 
indicate that it is the responsibility of the ministers of the church to preach the gospel and the scriptures. But also in Acts and in 1 Corinthians 11, we're told that the church is to administer the sacraments. The sacraments, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are not having to do with the family. They have nothing to do with the state. A father cannot baptize his son. A father cannot administer to the Lord's uh, excuse me, administer the Lord's Supper to his children or to his family. These are uh, restricted to the church, that the ministers of the church are the ones who are supposed to administer the sacraments, preach the gospel. And another responsibility of the church is to practice church discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, we are told the steps of church discipline, and that is that if someone lives in a disorderly way, or if they are guilty of teaching false doctrine, that the person who is offended goes to the person who has offended, and they are to privately rebuke them, and if they don't, then they go back with two or three brothers, and then if that doesn't happen, then they are to be brought before the elders of the church, and that the church is to put them out. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. And by tradition there, Paul is talking about the, everything that is contained in the Scriptures for us. That is the apostolic tradition, what we now have contained in the Scriptures. But the church's authority is limited as well. One of the things we talked about a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating, is that the church's authority is strictly ministerial. That is to say that they may only administer what is already found in the Word of God. Elders of the church cannot, may not, make up doctrines for you to believe and, and expect you to believe them. They may not make up commandments or requirements and expect you to live them out. The only thing that the ministers of the church may do is to preach and teach that which is already contained in the Scriptures. Their authority in the church is strictly ministerial. One of the greatest examples we have of this is in Acts chapter 15. This is commonly called the Jerusalem Council. And there was a dispute over whether or not circumcision was required. And even though the apostles were present in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, the final authority that they drew from was the Scriptures. And it wasn't because the apostles didn't have the authority. They did have the authority. They had the authority of Christ Himself when they spoke, as they did when they wrote the Word of God. But they did this to show us that the final authority for all matters of life and practice within the church are found in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the final authority. So the church authority is limited as well. Turn to Romans chapter 13, if you will. Uh, we're going to talk now for a brief moment about civil authority. And one of the things that I often hear from Christians is that, uh, that the church should say nothing having to do with this realm of life. Well, Jesus said, All authority has been given unto Him in heaven and on earth, which means that there is nothing outside of the realm that Christ doesn't rule over in His kingdom. That even in the civil realm, we are to submit to God specifically, we are to submit to Christ in His Word. And 
Let's read Romans chapter 13. I just want to make a few comments here. Now remember, Romans, first 11 chapters of Romans, all about doctrine, all about the gospel, all about everything that Christ has done for His people to save them. And then in chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul begins the application section of the book of Romans, which means that everything after this point is not strictly doctrine. It is how we are to live as God's people. And when Romans 13 is quoted... Oftentimes, the only thing mentioned is the fact that we're called to submit to rulers, and that's true, and we are to submit to rulers, but the application having to do with the civil authorities is oftentimes neglected. And so let's read these few verses, starting in Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Now, I want you to listen carefully as I start in verse 4 to how the civil magistrate is addressed in this text. Listen to what it says in verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So in verses 4 through 7, there are three responsibilities given to the civil magistrate, and we're going to cover these very briefly. The first is that the civil magistrate has the responsibility to administer civil law according to God's word. Notice that he calls them God's ministers. And so civil authority is, ought to be, biblically, strictly ministerial as well meaning that civil authorities ought not to just create laws uh, to demand things of citizens that God does not require in His Word. Now, that requires a little bit of explanation. Uh, we, we did live in a different time, but Christian theologians throughout the centuries have always recognized that uh, what, the best phrase that there is on this subject is general equity, and it's found in the Westminster Confession that the laws in their strict form are not required of us in, in every single detail that they're given. However, the general equity, what is the law intending to accomplish, that that is required of us to fulfill. And, and the most basic example that is commonly given has to, is the uh, Old Testament case law with parapets built around the roof of your house. Is that required of us? Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, in the Old Testament, though, their parties, their shindigs, when they would get together with their friends, were all on the roof of the house. And to protect people from falling off the roof, God had a requirement for their houses to have a parapet built around the roof to protect people. And so if you have a deck, a, a high deck on your home or something like that, then yes, you would be required because in keeping with the spirit of the law to protect those that come and visit your home, you would need to do this. And so, uh, yes, it does require work as we study God's law. And yes, there are 
uh, difficult passages that we, may, that we may need to cover and discuss and hash out. However, in its seed form, what Romans 13 and other places teach is that uh, the civil magistrate has a responsibility to administer law according to God's word. Secondly, they have a responsibility to punish crime. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Swords are not used for spreading peanut butter on your toast. Swords are used to execute evildoers. He says later in the verse 4 of Romans 13, he calls the civil magistrate an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Think about this. God uses the civil magistrate to pour out his... This is the means through which he often pours out his wrath on evildoers is through the civil magistrate, through the use of the death penalty. There are other punishments in the scriptures, but we will cover them when we get to Exodus uh, chapter 21, later on in verse 21 for some of the crimes. But ordinarily, there are basically three punishments in the scriptures. One is execution. One is restitution, where if you steal something, you have to pay back what you stole up to five times that amount. And then there is even, there are some examples in the Old Testament of corporal punishment, where someone was beaten, you've heard of 39 lashes, or 40, 40 lashes less one, that comes straight out of the Scriptures. That if you fail to do certain things, a judge may order that you be beaten for a particular reason. Now we'll cover those very exciting topics. Uh, in a few months when we get to some of the more civil laws. Uh, but one last responsibility I want to talk about, other than administering God's law and administering punishment, is the, is the responsibility to tax found in verses 6 and 7. Now there are evil and ungodly, in fact, just about every tax that we have is evil and ungodly, However, the civil magistrate does have the responsibility to tax. It, 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 it requires money to pay civil magistrates for their services. It takes money to defend a country, to protect it from invasion and, and have defensive wars. And it requires money uh, to kill bad guys, as the, the way we put it at my house, to kill bad guys. It, it, it takes money to do those things. And so the civil magistrate does have a responsibility to tax for the purposes that it is supposed to exist, but there are limits to the civil magistrate's authority. The civil magistrate is not responsible for the education of your children or my children. Uh, the civil government is not responsible to help the poor, to provide housing, or pretty much any, anything else that the civil magistrate does other than uh, punishing evildoers and protecting from invasion. So uh, there are, in every area of life, there are limits to authority that we are not supposed to just render unfettered obedience, but there are particular responsibilities that the civil magistrate owes to you and that the church, the ministers and the elders of the church owe to you and that you, you as parents owe to your children and that you as children owe to your parents. God commands us to walk in obedience no matter where we are in life. We are all under God's authority. Well, let's talk about what we really want to hear about, which is the limitations of obedience. When do I not, when do I not have to obey my authority? This is, the, this is the exciting thing that we want to hear about. Well, everywhere in the Scriptures we are commanded, and it is true, as we've read a couple of those already this morning, we are commanded to render obedience 
to civil authorities, to family authorities, and to ecclesiastical authorities. And I'm not going to multiply scriptures to talk about this. But we do have a multitude of examples throughout the scriptures that teach us we are not supposed to just render unfettered obedience to our authorities. I'm going to give you a few examples. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles preached the gospel and they were required by the civil authorities and the church authorities to no longer preach. And what did they do? They walked out of the jail and started preaching the gospel just as soon as they were told not to. And here's how that's recorded in Acts 5:27. It says, "And when they had brought to the, excuse me, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them saying, "Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine." And intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Such that if any church authority, any family authority, any civil authority tells you to do something in contradiction to the word of God, you must stand with the scriptures and say, We ought to obey God rather than men. And there are other examples. In Exodus 1, the midwives to the Hebrews disobeyed the command of Pharaoh to execute the babies. In 1 Samuel 25, Abigail disregarded the instructions of her husband to save the lives of their family and their property. In Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed the command of the king to worship a golden image. And in Daniel 6, Daniel disobeys the edict of Nebuchadnezzar, which forbade him to pray to God. Now, there, are, there, are, there are so many examples of this in the Scriptures. We, we could be here all day talking about this. But here's why I multiply these examples. We need to recognize that the failure to grasp this is detrimental to Christianity. In Germany, scores of Christians helped execute Jews because they said, yes, but I'm just doing what my authority tells me to do. Didn't matter that they were afraid of losing their own lives and obeying God rather than men. Didn't matter what God said. They said, yeah, but my authority told me to help with this train ride that they knew was going to lead Jews to the gas chambers. Do you see the difference? Do you see? Yes, it may cost you. It may cost you your life to disobey authority when they tell you to obey God. But it's much better to obey God rather than men. It's much better to lose a limb and be found faithful to Christ or lose your life and be found faithful to Christ than to dishonor Him in any way, no matter how small. But let's take it a step further. Because it's not always when our authorities tell us to do something specifically sinful. Sometimes our authorities tell us to do something that we don't want to do, that they shouldn't be telling us to do. They overset their bounds, but it's not necessarily a sin. So what do we do when authorities overstep their boundaries, but we're not necessarily disobeying God when we're obeying them? Well, a couple of passages to keep in mind. A couple of instances. In Matthew 17... Verses 24 through 27, Jesus disagreed with the unjust temple tax, but he still paid it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, servants are instructed to be submissive to masters, even if they're harsh masters. One chapter later, 
In 1 Peter 3, wives are instructed to be submissive to their husbands even if they do not obey the word. In 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan went against the... Uh, this. On the other end, there's 1 Samuel 14, when Jonathan goes against the instructions of his father, Saul, uh, in a rash vow that he made. Why do I bring these up? Well, there are examples in both directions. There are examples when we... Even though it's a sin for authorities to overstep their boundaries, it's not necessarily a sin to obey what our authorities have told us to do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it. And so you say, well, that's not helping me out very much. Well, yes, it is. And and the reason that I say that is because it's not always a crystal clear, cut and dry thing uh, that God gives us a conscience and that we have to make decisions based on what the Word of God tells us. And here are a couple of... I'm just going to give you a couple of questions that I think we need to ask ourselves when we say, well, do I have to do this? God's Word doesn't require me to do this, but I really don't want to do it. Well, here are a couple things to keep in mind. Number one is, have you provoked the tyranny in any way? Have you provoked the overstepping of the boundaries? Uh, I think sometimes we fail to recognize that some of the tyranny that we have to live under, whether it be in the civil realm or the family realm or uh, occasionally in the church, is oftentimes things that we have provoked. We have not been faithful. We, we tend to only see the sin in others. We tend to only see the failure of our authorities and fail to recognize how oftentimes we have failed as citizens. Have we all prayed for our authorities diligently as we're commanded to do in the Scriptures? I think I, think no, I do were. not pray. I complain more about my authorities far more than I pray for my authorities. And so, yes, they're unfaithful, but oftentimes we are unfaithful in our responsibilities to our authorities. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Have I provoked this in any way? Secondly, do I need more information? Oftentimes, we rush to judgment. We do this in everyday life. We do this with our equals as well. We do this because we live in a microwave culture where half the videos that we watch are one minute long on Facebook or YouTube or uh, Instagram or whatever else there is now. And it, it is such a failure of our culture to rush to such a quick judgment based on tiny snippets of information. And we rush to judgment for our leaders. And... Uh, we don't want our leaders to do that to us. We don't want our leaders to rush to judgment on why we did something or on a particular decision that we've made. However, we oftentimes fail to recognize maybe our leaders had some information that we did not have. Thirdly, we need to ask ourselves, what's going to be the outcome? If I disregard this instruction, what is going to be the outcome? Now, I know that we can't always know that, but I think as thinking Christians, we have to think, okay, what, what's going to happen here? What, what are my children going to see when I disregard this? Uh, what, what, what is my family going to see when I think that this is not important or when I make fun of our civil authority in this context or something like that? What will be the outcome? And then the last question, and this is probably the most important question you need to ask yourself when you're, when you're considering... Should I disregard this instruction? Is will this hold up on Judgment Day? That when you stand before God, is this excuse, is this reason that you're giving for disregarding authority going to hold up before God? And that, 
I believe, is the most important thing we need to ask ourselves. Is this something that God will be pleased with? Is this something that honors the Lord? What's the solution to bad authority? Well, we, we, we tend to think about bad authority, and like I said, we tend to ignore bad subjection. That we oftentimes fail to fulfill our responsibilities. And what's the solution? Well, here's what we often say. We often say, if we could just get some new leaders in, we could get this problem fixed, the economy would be fixed, we wouldn't have as many problems in the church. If I could get a new husband, my, uh, my life would be so much happier at home, or a new wife, or something like that. And we always tend to put the onus on someone else. But in Christianity, in the biblical faith, the problem we ought to think is me. We need to recognize I am the chief of sinners. Not those guys out there, not my wife, not my children, not my husband, not my subjects, not the civil authority. Maybe the pastor, probably the pastor, yes. But we need to recognize that we oftentimes fail to keep our end of the deal. And the answer is not, let's just get a new leader or let's just get some new subjects. You know, we sing this a lot. I'm going to sing this line, and I know you're going to remember it if you come here often. Put no confidence in princes, nor for hell. We sing that all the time, and yet we all the time are saying, if we could just get a new mayor, a new president, a new governor, a new whatever... What do we do? We are putting our trust in princes. The answer is not in getting a new authority. We will not see revival. We will not see reformation. We will not see the kind of change that we desire until we turn, until we look in the mirror and say, how can I be faithful to Christ? Until we repent of our sins and say, I'm going to submit to Christ And I'm going to recognize that it's His obedience that saves us. That Christ is the one who fulfilled the law for us. That it's Christ's death that accomplished salvation for sins. That it's His resurrection that rules over all authorities. And that Christ is the one who is seated in heaven ruling now. And until we turn it around and look at ourselves and say, I need to repent. I need to change we'll never see the change that we want in those around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for putting our trust in princes. Forgive us for thinking that our ills will be changed if we simply have a new ruler. We have the greatest ruler there ever was, the Lord Jesus, who is sitting at your right hand even now. And yet we fail to submit to Him daily. Oh, the blessing that we would have. Oh, the promises that we would receive of long life and prosperity in our culture if we would only walk in obedience. God, forgive us for our rebellion. And thank You for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank You for the perfect obedience of Your Son that saves us from our disobedience. And in His name we pray. Amen.